Welcome in to the New Orleans Saints podcast for Tuesday, May 11th. I am Caroline Gonzalez, soon to be joined by my co-host, John DeJayton, senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. Ooh, what do we have for you today on this episode, Saints fans? Well, first, we will speak with the New Orleans Saints 133rd pick. It is quarterback Ian Book out of Notre Dame. You can tell Ian has a bit of an edge to him in this interview, and I cannot wait to see him compete here in New Orleans. I couldn't wait to talk to him, so much so that I forgot to tell him congratulations. But I don't know about you, Saints fans. I am ready to see this quarterback competition, so maybe my eagerness is starting a few months early here. We will also have Scott Fajita joining us, Saints legend, who will be in the Crescent City on May 13th to host a virtual field trip with the World War II Museum as they explore stories from Japanese Americans who were forcibly removed from their homes in World War II. Now, you might be asking yourself, where does Scott Fujita fit into this? Well, you're going to have to hear that story from Scott himself because it is truly a fascinating story that you are not going to want to miss. But first up, let's go ahead and get into my interview with uh, Saints quarterback Ian Book as he chats with myself and my co-host, John Shaver. Joined on today's show by Ian Book, Notre Dame quarterback, drafted by the New Orleans Saints in the fourth round. He is the all-time winningest quarterback out of Notre Dame. He completed 64% of his passes during his time at Notre Dame, 72 touchdowns, ran the ball 361 times for 1,517 yards, 17 touchdowns. If that wasn't enough, uh, he's also a gamer, folks. Ian, when you hear that, when you hear that you're a gamer, first of all, I should say congratulations. Sorry, we just skipped past the, the congratulations part of the podcast. But uh, when you hear that you're a gamer, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it really just means, especially at the QB position, you've got to do whatever it takes to win. And, um, you know, and every game's different, honestly, and every team you play is different. So when I think of that, I think of getting first downs and scoring touchdowns. That's kind of the motto I've always gone by. And, you know, if it's not working in the passing game that day or whatever, I would like to use my feet and run, you know, and vice versa. Just do as much as I can and, and be as, you know, versatile as I can be. At the end of the day, it's my job to distribute the ball to all the great playmakers out there and, and put points on the board. So that's what I think of. And when you saw or when you heard, rather, that you were going to be drafted by the New Orleans Saints, who did you talk to? What was the feeling? What were your feelings surrounded the New, surrounding the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, I actually got the, the whole phone, you know, got passed around in the meeting room for everybody. So I got to talk to everybody in there. And uh, I was here in California with my family. So I haven't been home for a while and wanted to make sure I was home on draft day. So was here and just had close family and friends around and um, nothing but excitement. Just feel like it's a really good spot for me. And I just cannot wait to, to uh, get to work and get started. But I was stoked, you know, once I got the call, I'd it was a Texas number, so I, I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, you know, I thought it maybe – I didn't know. First thing that popped in my head was maybe it was the Cowboys, but when I was looking on the screen, they weren't up, so I was confused. But <laughs> once I heard it was the Saints, you know, I couldn't have been more more happy about it. Here, and I'm going to hit the rewind button here. Does anybody have a rewind button anymore? I'm no. Gonna, <laughs> no. Um, why Notre Dame, of all places? Because you, you previously had another commitment – um, you end up at Notre Dame, one of the more polarizing programs uh, in the nation. But why Notre Dame? Yeah, kind of. So I wanted to play in the Pac-12 my whole entire life. You know, grew up in the West Coast, wanted to play in the Pac-12. It was a dream of mine. 
you know, really loved UCLA growing up and uh, just watched a, a ton of Pac-12 football and really loved it. And, um, you know, I met a coach named Mike Sanford and he was at Boise State. And they, even though they're not in the Pac-12, you know, they were really high on my list. And he actually ended up leaving and going to Notre Dame to be the um, quarterback's coach. So when he left and went to Notre Dame, I felt like I couldn't really wait around to see if I might get the Notre Dame offer, might not. So uh decided to, you know, live out my dream and commit to Washington State. I had an offer there, and I was going to go join the Air Raid with Coach Leach. And then after being committed for three months, I did get a call from Notre Dame. And um, honestly, just the the school with, you know, the highest level of football and the highest level of academics. And Notre Dame has both of those at the highest level. So, you know, I ended up making the switch three days later. Ian, my brother, I cannot tell you how old you just made me feel when you said well, because I remember the Pac-10. So... <laughs> <laughs> We are not going to talk about that, <laughs> but but at Notre Dame, um, obviously one of the more beloved programs, but also at the same time, one of the more hated, despised programs. Um, which did you feed off more, the love or the, the hate? It's uh, a good question. And I've never actually been asked that before. Probably 50-50. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we have an unbelievable fan base, but like you said, it's there's a big target on your back, especially at Notre Dame, just kind of the way it's been for, for a long time. And that's why Notre Dame has so much, you know, history and, tr and tradition. So uh, you feed off both, you know, you hear a lot of stuff and people don't think you belong in the playoff conversation and, and the list goes on and it's just a chip on your shoulder and makes you work that much harder. So definitely both, you know, both really help motivate me every Saturday. What was your exposure or interview process like with the Saints? Um, I, I guess they, you know, give you plays and you, you know, kind of spit them back out to you and that kind of thing. But what was that process like? Because we've always known and heard that the Saints have one of the more complex offenses in the league. Yeah, so uh, when I was doing my training at MJP in Texas, you know, I was doing that and doing a ton of Zoom meetings. And one of my first ones was with the Saints. And like you said, it's just talking as much football as you can. I know this year is obviously different with, with COVID and obviously last year too, but they want to get to know you as best as they can over, over the computer. You know, it's a lot harder and normally they would love to meet and talk to you in person, but basically, you know, it's like an hour or so. And it's just, you know, first probably 15 minutes is get to know you as best they can. And then after that, it was, it was all football. And we, he's, uh, the coaches shared their screen and we just talked football. We watched a little bit of my film and then watched a lot of their film and they just want to hear you, how much information you can retain and how much you can you know, spit back. Like you said, so it was all ball after 15 minutes. And um, yeah, that was, I, that was, they were just one of my first meetings and I thought it went really well. And um, you know, that was it really. You know, Jeff Ireland for the Saints is responsible for bringing in a lot of talent to the, the New Orleans Saints. And in an interview he did with Jeff Duncan for The Athletic, he said that he talked to your teammates at Notre Dame and they said that they would want you on their team moving forward. They said that the culture you brought to the team was something that they wanted moving forward. What do you think they meant by that? Um, just I, I, I tried to be every day somebody that, you know, the whole team could lean on. And whether that's football and especially at Notre Dame with academics and being a leader off the field. So we talk about being a Notre Dame man, and that really means in all three, in all three phases. So, um, you know, I appreciate them for saying that. And I really do try to be that person every single day. And um, I think it just means someone they can lean on in life, you know, football, school, you know, school's done now. So football and in the community <laughs> and um, yeah, just try to make everybody around me better. That was kind of my goal each and every day. 
Yeah, no more classes. Don't worry about that, Ian. But Jeff Ireland also said, sorry, he said he gave you a compliment, but then he said you were short and you need to be taught a lot. But there was a gentleman named Drew Brees that walked through those doors a few years ago and he wasn't taller than you and he made his impact. How do you feel about entering the doors uh, of this facility after Drew Brees had just exited? Yeah, uh, big shoes to fill for sure, but it's it's a heck of an opportunity and he's somebody I've watched and he's somebody that, you know, I look up to for as long as I can remember. So someone that's similar in stature and who's basically eliminated all the doubts that people had about that. And, and uh, I think he did that because of his preparation and he's got the right attitude for it. And, you know, he's a hall of famer, so big shoes to fill, but it's exciting. I do think the league is changing and, you know, there's shorter quarterbacks out there who are getting the job done. And we're not going to worry about the physical stature because we've got to ask you about your vertical because Drew Brees, Fourth and one, you know, that was his thing over the top with the ver <laughs> vertical. What, what kind of hops you got? I think my, I want to say my pro day was like maybe like 33 and a half or something. So good enough, right? I, I'll make it over. Yeah. Trust me, I'll make it over. <laughs> hey, what do you look forward to the most about the NFL? Uh, just getting in the locker room, you know, with everybody getting a new team, just really getting, you know, getting settled and getting started and just learning a new playbook. You know, it's going to be awesome. And then playing on Sundays has been a dream of mine just forever. So just to, you know, actually be on an NFL team and get going with new guys and really just put in a ton of work this offseason and just get ready to have an unbelievable year. And there's really everything. I feel like I could talk about everything. So um, just just excited be on a new team, start this new journey over and just get to work, honestly. You know, you mentioned New Jersey, when your new journey, excuse me, when you're when you're starting as a young quarterback, as you did at Notre Dame, how does one win over the locker room? How does one influence the locker room? I think you just got to, you know, personally, I just tell myself, be myself every day. Don't be fake. Don't try to be somebody you're not. And I think the rest will take care of itself. But work hard, you know, be a sponge, take everything in, learn everything. Just it's your job now. Just work every day, you know, for that one goal. And that's we want to win a Super Bowl. So, um that's really, I don't think you need to try to be anybody else that you're not. And I think the rest will take care of itself. Now, as you enter the pros and you're coming into a, a veteran locker room, how do you, have you thought about how you approach it? I mean, you said you be yourself, but it, does that mean, you know, being a vocal you, or does that mean, you know, you mentioned being a sponge. Does that mean kind of sitting in a corner and kind of absorbing and being a little bit more quiet as you learn the process and, and learn how, how things work? Yeah, I think it's probably both, you know, you got to know your role, role, but you also want to be a leader, especially as a QB. I feel like it's a little bit of a different conversation if it might have been another position. But, you know, I want to just be myself, you know, be as vocal as I, as I normally am. And But I do want to learn. You know, there's people there. There's veterans there. They've done a great job in all positions. And I just want to learn as much as I can. But um, I do think it's, it's probably a little bit of both. You know, Ian, now on the field, you have appeared to be somewhat feisty. Um, so what goes on between an offensive player and a defensive player, especially when you make kind of one of those plays, plays where, you know, you almost look at a guy and like, you know, Hey, gotcha. I mean, what goes on? Uh, depends. Depends if they said anything, but most of the time I try to just head back to the, you know, to our side of the ball and, and do it again. You know, that's probably the best way to, to get back at somebody just do it again and keep doing it over and over until the, until the game's over. But, it's all fun again. Everyone out there that's, you know, talking trash and having fun, it's, it's just part of the game. It's fun, and I try to play that way and try to play gritty. And um, I just try to be the toughest guy on the field. And I think that shows, you know, your team, especially as a quarterback, you know, that you're there to win and, and nothing can stop you.
You've played in many, many big games at Notre Dame. How much does that prepare you for the NFL, I guess, playing against NFL caliber athletes in those games? Uh, I think a ton. You know, that's the reason I picked Notre Dame. It's one of the biggest reasons. You know, we got the opportunity to play the number one team in the country this last season. Um, and you, that's why you go there. You go there playing the big games. And I'm playing guys, you know, week in and week out that are playing for long careers in the NFL. So I don't think any there's – there's definitely other programs that can get you ready, but Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's at the top for sure. And you were from California, went to Notre Dame. What do you know about New Orleans? What is your, your expectations when you get here? And what have you heard about the fan base? Yeah, I've heard great things about the fan base. You know, I know that it's, it's a very loyal group that there's a lot of uh, history and tradition as well in this organization, which is great because I'm coming from Notre Dame where I feel like the tradition was, you know, out, you know, out of the roof, uh, especially in terms of college football. Uh, I don't know much about the state. You know, I'll learn as I go, but I've been one time for uh, the Manning Passing Academy two years ago. So, you know, I've heard good things about the food, heard good things about the football, and uh, I'm just excited to get out there. You know, I know people love football out there. And that's the way it should be. Well, so you went down to Thibodeau for that Manning Passing Academy. Um, so you know that in New Orleans, you can pretty much melt in July or so. <laughs> how much? Yes. How much? Can you one prepare for that before you even get here, or can one? Do you just have to kind of get out there and, and weather it? Uh, you just got to kind of get out there and weather it. Drink a lot of water is all I could say. <laughs> I love the pun there, JD. All right, Ian, we'll let you go. We appreciate you so much for your time. Congratulations again on being selected in the fourth round by the New Orleans Saints, being drafted. We can't wait to see you out there on Sundays. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, transitioning a bit to Saints legend Scott Fajita joining us now on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Scott will be joining us here in New Orleans to host a virtual field trip with the World War II Museum as they explore stories from the Japanese, excuse me, from Japanese Americans who were forcibly removed from their homes in World War II. This virtual field trip, we will put the link uh, in our podcast bio. You can find that. You can register. If you are a teacher listening to this, make sure you you register your classroom. I think this is going to be an opportunity that you are not going to want to miss. First up, Scott, how you doing, man? It's been a while since we've talked. I'm doing great. It's always good to connect. Love New Orleans. I miss y'all. Can't wait to see you again. Can't wait for you to be here, Scott. I know it's been a, a wild year. I'm sure you haven't been in town uh, over 2020, this part of 2021. We know you're coming in town here in the next few days. Uh, and we want to get into that because the whole reason we had you on the show is to talk about this really exciting project that you have coming up at the World War II Museum. But right now, Scott, uh, we've had you on the podcast before talking about being the head of school at the All Saints Day School in California. How has that been going? What has it been like to be the head of a school during the most problematic year ever in history? You know, it's it's a wild time to be in the school business, I would say, um, particularly in California, where, you know, things are pretty tight and restrictions are pretty significant. And it takes a lot of work and considered effort and collaboration and partnership to really kind of thread the needle to make school happen. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if fun is the appropriate word, given the state of the world in the last 16 or 17 months. But there have been aspects of it which have been a lot of fun. And I think um, finding new ways to just overcome and problem solve and these new, you know, uh, unforeseen, never been seen before challenges being presented to us and just, hey, how are we going to figure this thing out dating back to last March? 
I um, mean, early March, I, I had a sense that things might be shutting down pretty soon. Uh, so we just got ahead of it and spent two weeks in in-service just trying to get ready for this new thing called distance learning, because yeah. uh, I didn't want to get caught on our heels if things did shut down and we'd have to plan overnight. So at least we got like a two-week jump on things. So because that, we're able to develop pretty strong momentum through the spring semester. And then the summer was going to be an unknown again. Uh, so we had to sort of have two models on parallel tracks, in-person and remote. And again, we found a sort of a very narrow path to be able to open um, and felt like if we can do this thing safely and have the support of our board, uh, we did it. And we are one of you know only a small handful of schools in our entire county who had schools back on campus since September. So, you know, did it with you know the, the best interest of the kids in mind, felt like it was the right thing to do to have them in school. Um, and we're thrilled about it because it has served the kids in our community well. Um, so again, fun, probably not the right word, but I think I've loved, I've loved seeing the teachers and our faculty and staff just rise up and be at their best to meet the challenge head on. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that's the fun part that you're talking about is the fun of accepting those challenges and rising to those challenges. Obviously, you have, your staff has. So it seems to me, Scott, that you're you're good at things other than just football. It seems like you're uh, having a little bit of success in this industry. You know, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think it's just um, it, it's just a team mindset at the end of the day. Everybody has a role and everybody's got their own skill sets and sometimes weaknesses. And you just got to rally together and make sure everybody's rowing in the same direction. So that part of it has been a blast. And in some ways, you almost had to start over. And I know businesses everywhere and operations everywhere essentially had to start over. Budgets flipped upside down. Um, and it's almost like an entrepreneurial venture, sort of like a startup mentality. Yeah. Um, and I think you, know, you can easily become paralyzed by that um, and be stagnant or you can just figure it out. Uh, and the figuring it out of this all has been has been fun. I love this. And our listeners aren't really going to be able to watch this entire video. They'll see a video on social media. But I love the background that you have right now. He has a globe. He's got the bookshelf, just head of school vibes over there on Scott Fajita's end. <laughs> and the Go Saints flag. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Scott. Well, let's go ahead and get into the real reason why we had you on our show today is because you have an exciting project coming up with the World War II Museum. You're going to be hosting a virtual program that is designed to educate students and audience uh, and uh, and audiences, excuse me, throughout the country about the Japanese American experiences in World War II. And I have to say, Scott, they're calling this an electronic field trip. Field trips in my day, you got a permission slip and then you got on a big yellow bus. We're doing things a little bit differently nowadays, but I love it. I'm really excited about it, and I'm flattered and grateful and really humbled by the opportunity and the invite from the museum. Um, as all of you folks who are in New Orleans know, I mean, this museum is first class all the way. Um, was fortunate to get to spend some time there. Um, when I lived in New Orleans, it's right down the street from my old condo. I have always enjoyed going back, and they do such a marvelous job at storytelling, um, and I'm excited to be a part of this project. Um, virtually, again, this idea of the electronic or virtual field trip, it's unique and new to us, but the museum has doing things in a virtual realm for a long, long time. And what I've come to understand over the last couple of months is the extent to which they've been able to be a resource to so many other schools who are trying to figure out this new virtual way of doing business and doing school. Uh, they've been in front of this thing for years and years and years. So now to offer these virtual field trips, and my understanding is sometimes they'll have 60 to 70,000 middle school and high school students tuning in live for some of these productions. And I've had a chance to go back and look at the website and see some of the previous uh, productions they've done around the Manhattan Project, et cetera. And they're so well done, so well produced. So huge hats off to the museum and Christy and her whole team. Uh, it's been phenomenal. And I'm excited you know, to have a chance to come and do this. 
Um, we talked about this initially, I think back in like September, or October. And at that point, it, you really couldn't leave the state of California. And if I did, I wouldn't be able to come back and I have a job to come back to. So the timing actually finally aligned where because I'm fully vaccinated, I'm allowed to travel, come back, not have to quarantine. So all that has worked well uh, to be able to participate in this experience. So I'm really excited about it. Can't wait to come back to New Orleans. Uh, I have an expert who I'll be working with there on site. Um, they'll have sort of student reporters out in the field. We'll be taking live questions from students around the country. Um, two of our classes here at All Saints are going to be streaming in live as well. Um, so it's just a, a fantastic opportunity to tell a really, really important story that's been important to my family. And I want to talk about what this field trip is going to entail. You talked about the student reporters and things like that. But Scott, can you kind of bridge the gap for us of where you fit into this story? Because you're a great Super Bowl champion, Scott Fajita, head of All Saints School. But how do you fit into this story? Sure. I, I think the, the reason for the request or inquiry for me to participate is because I've always enjoyed telling my family stories. So for those of you who don't know, the last name Fujita is a Japanese last name. My father is Japanese-American, uh, third generation or sansei. So he was born in a Japanese incarceration camp during World War II in uh, 1943 down in the Gila River internment camp in Arizona. Um, so that was just always part of my story. I grew up knowing about it. Some folks here in California learned about it through you know, history classes in, in, in uh, high school. Um, but what I found, especially as I aged and lived around the country through my adult life, is that a lot of folks around the country had never heard of Japanese internment or incarceration. So part of the value, I think, in sharing my story um, was for that to be told in the process. And I think each new place I went, whether it was Kansas City or Dallas or New Orleans or Cleveland, the idea of, you know, the six, five white guy with a Japanese name, you know, always generated some attention. And then folks might ask, well, tell us more about that. And then as part of that conversation, just very organically, the subject of incarceration and internment would come up. Uh, so I enjoy this, the storytelling nature of that just to help folks sort of expose themselves to this really dark time in history that, again, not enough people knew about, which to me has been particularly poignant in the last couple of decades. So it's important, again, to understand this element of our history. And I'm just grateful, again, to the museum for, for creating another platform through which people can learn more about this. Yeah, absolutely. So what the World War II Museum is doing, and we've been talking about this electronic field trip, is that they are going to provide real life experiences and stories from Japanese Americans who were forcibly removed from their homes during the war. And Scott, you touched on an important piece. I think it's important that we are acknowledging the ugly parts of America's past. I think that is a huge step, not only uh, for us as a society, but the World War II Museum to do. What was your reaction when you heard of them wanting to put on this presentation, this, this electronic field trip? You know, at first I was just so humbled and really blown away and flattered just at the invite. And then as I got on the website and poked around a little bit and saw just how thoughtful they've been and all the production they've been doing and just to invest, you know, the sort of the time, the money, the energy, the resources into making this topic, this subject, uh, really a focal point for this electronic field trip. So I was humbled by it. Then the second part is how can I figure this thing out? Because um, again, the world is what it is right now. Yeah. Uh, and just the optics of me in my current position to be traveling out of state and then somehow coming back to school. And we're asking everybody in our community not to do that. Um, and this was in you know September, October, November, sort of getting into the height of the pandemic, particularly here in California, where things are much more restrictive. Um, I was really worried that it just wouldn't happen and the stars wouldn't align. And I was really kind of disappointed about that. Um, so with the museum, we just agreed to keep the conversation open. Uh, but ultimately, just just 
just proud, you know, I think proud that this museum that, um, that I, I've been such a big fan of and have seen some of the work they've done, but really proud of them, proud that it's in New Orleans and proud that my family gets to be sort of a small part of this story. I feel great about that. Yeah, so Scott, what were some of the stories or how was this such an, an ugly part of our country's history? How was that presented to you when you were growing up from your family? Like how did they introduce you to an, an ugly past? Um, it's funny, much like my adoption story, I think I don't really remember a time where I did not know either that I was adopted or that this was part of my family's story. So I think I just kind of grew up knowing. Um, I think most kids, you know, want to know how or where or when their parents are born. Um, I mean, my dad's was unique because he was born in a prison, essentially out in the desert. Um, and while he did that, his father was overseas fighting for the 442nd Regimental Combat Team for the United States, which turned out to be one of the most decorated uh, military battalions in United States military history. So just trying to sort through and process all that as That's a kid. That's insane. You just and, said and, that. And I'm like, wait, okay. So I'm trying to put it together in my head. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of baggage. <laughs> yeah. So the whole story is quite wild. You know, my grandfather was a student at Berkeley at the time um, where I went to school. My grandmother uh, worked for president Sproul, who was the president at UC Berkeley at the time worked in his office. They were not married yet. So they got their uh, evacuation orders, executive order 9066 from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And um, essentially they were going to be, um, intern in different camps. So they eloped to get married so they could stick together through their camp experience. And then my dad, uh, my grandfather, and, and many, many other Japanese Americans chose to enlist. They were good patriots and wanted to show their loyalty to their country, um, enlisted. Um, so they, the 440 reg, 442nd Regimental Compact Team is formed. And my grandmother now is in camp, essentially on her own, pregnant with my father. And she wanted to become a school teacher. So she's pregnant and then delivered my father. And she's also teaching English to the young Japanese American students in the desert. So just such a, so just the juxtaposition of everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, these huge um, uh, liberties just being stripped from them and people's businesses being taken away, not knowing what they're going to come, come home to, but then this sense of duty and patriotism to say, okay, we understand what you're doing in our family, but we're still going to find a way to make the most of this, whether it's proving our loyalty, defending the country we love, or honing my craft as a teacher and working on that, even in the middle of these circumstances, we're going to find a way to get through this and persevere. So I think just growing up with that story, it made me proud, also angry. Uh, and then as I aged, you know, also angry and disappointed that others did not know about the story. And most are shocked when they hear about it. Yeah. And I apologize for smiling. I smile sometimes when I'm nervous, but my mind was just so blown at this family history and this story. And uh, you have to have such an overwhelming sense of pride to have a part in this Japanese American experience. So Scott, do you have an idea of, and I don't want to spoil this experience. I want people to go online and register. Um, but do you have kind of an outline of what the run of show is going to look like for those who are interested in, in partaking? Sure. Yeah, there's a link people can go to to register to uh, stream in live. Uh, there'll be two productions on Thursday morning. So this Thursday, the first one is at nine o'clock central time. The second will be at noon central time. So we're going to go through, do one and then repeat it again a couple hours later. So that as many students from around the country can participate as possible. Uh, but other than that, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, the team there at the museum has done such a phenomenal job. So we've had a couple of brain brainstorms so far virtually. Um, I'll spend some time sort of prepping on the flight out, but I'm excited just to get there on site and meet with the team and, and sort of press go on Thursday morning. 
Yeah, absolutely. There is a YouTube video available on NewOrleansSaints.com, or excuse me, on the Saints Twitter page. Um, they tweeted that out earlier today. We will also retweet it on the at SaintsPod Twitter, so you can go make sure you register. If you are a teacher listening to this, get your classroom registered. I have absolutely no doubt that this is going to be a fantastic and should, I should really say educating experience uh, for those who are partaking. Scott, we are so excited for you to partake in this experience. Um, um, excited to have you on the show and hopefully you get a lot of uh, attendees maybe in the the multiple thousands you said 50,000 60,000 I hope you get a hundred thousand Scott wow thank you it's gonna be a blast appreciate the time always good to connect with you and see some of you maybe in the next couple of days always good to speak with you Scott again you can visit the museum's website to register your classroom or family for the Japanese American experience at the World War II electronic field trip uh, again we will put out the links it is designed for grades 6 through 12 it is going to be on May 13th at 9 a.m. central and again at noon so make sure you click on that link and register Scott again appreciate your time thanks so much all right thank you take care Okay, even if you're not going to register for that class, if you don't have time, if you have things going on, remember it will be on demand. If not, just go ahead and watch that two-minute video on YouTube describing what the event is going to be about. I guarantee you, you are going to want to check out this virtual field trip. It is one that you are not going to want to miss. Speaking of things you're not going to want to miss, Cam Jordan spent time in the community, no, to no one's surprise, uh, on Monday, it, at most Tuesdays he spends his time in the community. Today, he is not in the community, uh, but on Monday, Cam Jordan teamed up with the Crescent City Corps to provide community engagement training for the NOPD, New Orleans Saints defensive end. Cam Jordan uh, once again proving that he does not just talk the talk, he also walks the walk. Make sure you go check out that video on NewOrleansSaints.com. Cam Jordan speaks in the mayor's office on Monday, May 10th, and talks a little bit about the program that uh, he is kind of spearheading or teaming up with uh, for more community engagement training uh, with the NOPD. So make sure you go ahead and check that out on your Saints app or NewOrleansSaints.com. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Hopefully you will tune in later in the week as we will have the schedule for the 2021 season. I know you're excited. I'm excited too. I wish I could uh, give you some hints. I wish I could spill the beans, but I don't have any more information than anyone else. But you can bet your bottom's dollar. We will be talking about it on the next episode of the New Orleans Saints podcast. So make sure you check it out, turn on those notifications, turn on your iTunes notifications, and make sure you listen in. All right, for John DeShazer and Ian Book, I am Caroline Gonzalez. We hope you have a fantastic day. Make sure you check out our next episode, Saints fans.